0: Hey there, this is Chris Widener, and you're listening to The Brand Domination Show with AJ Adams. Welcome to another epic episode of The Brand Domination Show, with your host, entrepreneur, social media influencer, and magnetic brand expert, AJ Adams. Every week, we bring you strategies from top entrepreneurs and influencers to help you stop competing and start dominating in your life and business. Now. Crank up the volume and prepare to dominate.
1: All right, welcome to another episode of the Brand Domination Show. I'm your host, AJ Adams, and today we have someone incredible uh, who I'm extremely honored to have on the podcast. Uh, We met through a mutual friend, and he's just been a very open person, which I find is the case with most really successful people. They're not closed, they're open. Uh, Mr. Chris Widener is here and he, we're going to dig in. He's going to share so much value with you. So if you are an aspiring speaker, if you're a current speaker, and you aspire to make a massive impact, take it to a whole nother level, then Chris is the guy that you need to listen to. So drop whatever you're doing. This episode is going to be value-packed. Uh, let's dive in. Chris, appreciate you being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's 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 dive right in. Because you're you're one of the top 50 speakers in the world, not the U.S. in the world, and Inc. magazine listed you as one of the top 100 leadership speakers. Uh, you've spoken for companies like AT and T, uh, the U.S. military, uh, so many incredible uh, accolades. The big question for a lot of my audience who are aspiring speakers, coaches, uh, is how? How do you get to that level where you're you're making that kind of impact?
0: Well, you know, it takes a long time. Every now and then lightning strikes, but it's just so rare that like lightning striking you is not a business strategy, right? <laughs> you know, I plan on having lightning strike and I'm gonna become a superstar. I'm gonna I'm gonna get stuck on a desert island with a speaker's bureau, I'm gonna save her life and she's gonna book me for the rest of my life. Like that just doesn't happen. Um right. You no, know, and there's turning points in your business. You you need to understand this is a long haul. I know in modern you know, in modern days it's all about Instagram and you know and, and all this stuff and building massive follower lists and, and if that can happen, great. I'm never gonna be good on Instagram because although I can quote Plato I don't look good in a bikini. So that seems to be like really gets hot on Instagram now. So if that's you and you can quote Plato and look good in a bikini, then that might work for you. doesn't work for me. Um, so you got to take it the slow and steady. And and again, I know this isn't sexy, but the slow and steady. I started in 1988. I'll give you a, a sort of a trajectory of how my career went. I yeah. uh, started in 88, speaking to high schoolers, youth groups, summer camps, not a lot of money in that. Uh, mid nineties, I got into, uh, I got on the internet very early on and I created content, 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 content. That's something you should be doing. Uh, particularly today, video content. Um, that's the way you get known is by content. It's the way I got known. I wrote 450 articles. I gave them away for free. They ended up on hundreds of thousands of websites all around the world. And at the bottom, it always had a link back my website and how to sign up for my e-zine. I built a 100,000 person email list by the 90s when nobody knew who I was, you know, mid-90s. Um, then I, I started getting printed up in a few different um, very well known e-zines, uh, messages from the masters, which was run by Kyle Wilson out of South, Park, uh, South Lake, Texas, who he was the um, owner of Jim Rohn International. So um, in 2001, 2002, I started ghostwriting for a guy named John Maxwell. Uh, most people know John, uh, wrote his nationally syndicated column that got me a phone call from Jim Rohn, uh, to, to co-write. I ended up co-writing John, uh, Jim's last book called 12 Pillars. And then I co-wrote the Jim Rohn one year program, which still 17 years later, still sells really, really well. I get big royalty checks every month from that. And then I ended up with my own TV show. And then Zig Ziglar asked me to co-host his TV show. So on the surface, I sometimes make the joke, I'm really not the kind of guy that you should follow in terms of how to build your speaking career. Because what I would say is, is well, first have John Maxwell call you, then have Jim Rohn <laughs> call you, then have Zig Ziglar call you. And it's sort of a joke to say, it, it's my way of saying, man, I got hit by the lucky stick um and, and and i did have lightning hit three times in 3 years and and it catapulted my career that being said um i think everybody has opportunities that come along the way maybe it might not be three legends of the industry asking you to work with them but it could be some big company like general electric that could hire you 50 times in the next 2 years or something like that so the the key thing is is when when the door of opportunity um open I had the skill set to walk through it. If they would have called me and said, "Hey, do you want to? You know, we'd like to talk to you about ghostwriting. Can you send us a sample?" and I and I wrote them something really bad. I wouldn't have gotten the gig. When I was asked to to uh, MC the Jim Rohn Weekend Leadership Event, that was a big turning point for me. Uh, Two thousand four, August. I think it was like July thirtieth through August second or something in Anaheim, California. Um, it was three days. It was um, it was Jim Rohn. It was Dennis Waitley, Brian Tracy, Charlie Tremendous Jones, Jerry Clark, I mean, Vic Johnson, a, a, a smattering of really, really wow. world-class speakers. And I was asked to MC, and I also had a speaking slot there. Um, if I would have sucked on stage in front of 1500 people for three days, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have worked for me, right? So sometimes you get no big opportunities and you still have to work hard to be the best you can. Sometimes you do get some amazing opportunities. And you better be as good as you can, because if you're not, it's kind of like imagine I'll tell you a funny story. I got a friend of mine who, who lives in Dallas and this was 15 years ago. He took me to a honky tonk. He loves to dance <laughs> Took me to a honky tonk. And we're in one of these giant, you know, 20,000 square foot thing, a big bull in the middle. And he looks at me, he says, Chris, I can get any girl in this place. And I looked at him, and I love him to death, but, you know, he's a strong 7. You know, he's not, a, he's not a he's not a 10, right? You know, he's a strong 7. And I said, no way in the world. He said, absolutely. He said, I'll even let you pick her. So I looked around, and I found the drop-dead gorgeous girl, and I said, that one right there. He said, all right, I'll be back in a bit. So I watch him walk over, and he approaches her, and she kind of goes, uh, you know, kind of gave him the Right, yeah. And, this guy. and then he leaned over and he whispered in her ear and her ears perked up and her head stepped back and she said, tilted her head a little bit. She said, come on. And they went out and they danced and uh, they danced for, you know, two or three songs. And then he came back to me, grabbed his beer and he said, told you. And I said, what huh. did you say to her? And he said, I'm the best dancer in here. He leaned over <laughs> and he said, I'm the best dancer in there here. There you go. And, nice. and, and the point is, is if he couldn't dance, she wouldn't have danced with him. Well, use that as an analogy. If you get an opportunity and you can't dance, that's going to last about a half a dance they're going to send you back. But if you can dance, you might get three or four dances with the prettiest girl in the room. So did I get lucky in some areas? Absolutely. But I prepared for, I I planned for it and I prepared for it and I walked through the door of opportunity when it opened for me. So, you know, that's how you build a big career. Get as good as you possibly can. Be the best in your category.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's, man, that, that is so much value right there. Um, and for, for those of you listening or watching, let me distill this because Chris just impacts so much. I hear a lot of people say that they got lucky. And the only people I ever hear say, talk about luck, well, there, there's two sides. People who are not yet successful or as, or as successful as they want to be, talk about luck as though it's elusive, something that avoids them, something they're trying to search for. People who are very successful like yourself talk about luck. But when I listen closely, and for those of you listening, watching, when you listen closely, what you really hear them say is, I got lucky. That's just the humility talking, because then they go on to say, I was prepared. And it's that, it's that old arm and hammer quote, the yeah. harder I work, the luckier I get. Right, exactly. And I've also heard it said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. And and some key things. So I, I, a lot of people are now with social media, they're putting out content. And for so many speakers and uh, experts in the space you want to become known for their knowledge or expertise they kind of think it's new but you were doing this back in the night the 80s and 90s putting out free content and yeah. you're still doing the same thing now and i've met a lot of speakers who are you know like the 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 ogs in the, the speaking game they've been around for a while and a lot of them haven't kept up to date unfortunately with how things have changed with the internet uh, i looked at your i was looking at your website just before we got on and you've got the website you've got a funnel you've got it everything, all the up-to-date, you're leveraging those platforms. But it's all the same stuff you've been doing. You've just translated it as the game has changed. You know, same game, different field. So you're creating content, free content. That, and you did really well at it. It got you the attention of people at a higher level and they opened up opportunities for you to do more. You killed it there. And that just opened up more opportunities. So for those of you listening and watching, keep putting out content. Be fantastic at your craft. Be amazing at what you do. Because somebody's looking for someone like you, and if you can step up and you can show up and
0: deliver, it's it's incredible.
1: And I well, know I'll tell,
0: another, I'll tell you another thing that that helped me was, um, I when I approached and was in those relationships with people who were so much further along than me. A lot of times when you meet somebody like that, you say, "I want to be like you. Can you help me?" That's a, that's a standard question. Sure. I'd like to do what you do. Can you help me? I asked a completely different question. I said, I want to be like you. Can I help you? That's because okay. they all needed something. Like when I had my TV show with Zig Ziglar, I knew my place. Zig is the greatest motivational speaker of all time. I mean, you know, legendary in the industry, pioneering oh, yeah. in the industry, you know, big best-selling books, $100,000 an hour speaker. And I didn't, for the for a second, think that my job was to come on there and be his equal. Um, I I used an analogy. Um, those of you who are baseball fans, you know, the All-Star Weekend, they have the Home Run Derby, right? And right. Home Run Derby is where these big, you know, great, Baseball players stand at the plate, and then they have a pitcher out on the mound, not even on the mound, it's like 40 feet away, it's short, put a little fence up so they don't get racked with a ball coming back at them, and these guys throw balls. Now, in a regular game, your balls are going 95 miles an hour, and they're difficult to hit. This guy's job is to throw them at about 60 miles an hour, 60 to 65, 70 miles an hour. Um, and right across the plate, right in a particular area, so that that batter can do one single thing, and that's hit the ball out of the park. Uh, I knew my job was to throw batting practice. My job to show up on that TV was, this was Zig's show. My job was to just feed him nice nice little things that he can hit out of the park and get his great quotes and his information in, and, and that helped me a lot. To, to yeah. be willing to help somebody else. So there might be somebody in your industry or somebody that's further along than you, maybe even specifically topically in your topic. Develop a relationship with that person. See how you can help them. Because when you start getting your name alongside of some of those people, it's almost like borrowing a brand. And in many ways, I borrowed the brand of Zig and Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and Dennis Whateley and those guys that, that helped me out. I owned a company at one point we were um, licensing audio programs from other speakers and we were putting them into boxed sets of 15 so 14 CDs one DVD and we were selling 70 50 to 75,000 units a month through Costco and Sam's Club so these things consisted of 14 CDs one DVD and it was in a big giant box right because in Costco they want you to feel like you're out, something, right, something. right. It was fifteen <laughs> CDs is basically what it was, and on the cover had four names of who was inside. On the inside, it had the other eleven names of who was on the inside. Um, but the four on the front were always people like Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, John Maxwell, and I always reserved the fourth space on the cover for one name, and that was my name. So for years and years, I was selling seventy thousand co- you know copies a month that said Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, and Chris Wagner. and I borrowed their brand because yeah. I was positioned alongside of them in these audio programs that were going out all over. They're still for sale on Amazon.
1: That's awesome. There's man, you you've really there's so many speakers out there, and uh, and you've been in this this space for a very long time, um, but you're actually you're you're still
0: young. Like pretty evil. I'm 53, yeah. but I'm 53 going on 23. I, I hit the gym most days and, you know, yeah. I take vitamins and, and uh, I've got a good sense of humor. I try to stay young.
1: Yeah. And I say that because most of the, the people that I've met who are at that level in speaking, you know, they've been, they're, they're, they're older, they're on their way out, they're getting ready to retire. And looking at you, it's almost like you're just getting started on some other things. Oh, I
0: got 20 years to go. Yeah. And here's the other thing, man. I grew up a hustler. You know, my dad died when I was four. I lived in 20 homes. I went to 11 different schools. I was shipped off to live with relatives twice. I started drugs in the sixth grade. I smoked opium for the first time in the eighth grade. And I made my money betting the horses at Long Acres Horse Track and scalping sports tickets on the street corners outside of Seattle, the Seattle sports scene. And so I've always been a hustler. Nothing was ever handed to me. I'm out there hustling. I'm trying new things and I'll, I'll fail at things. You might know, try new things and they fail, but I'll try new things that'll be wildly successful. And it's just innate to who I am. I'm a hustler. Um, my friend, Larry Winget, who you, you probably also know, he said they were sitting around one time, him and a bunch of other speakers, they were talking about brand. And they said, what do you think of, Larry said, what do you think of when, when you think of Chris Widener? And he said, like almost instantaneously, people said wheeler dealer." And uh and I said like in a negative sense, they said, No, not in a negative sense at all. It was like almost like a sense of admiration. You know, you always got some deal going on. You've always got some right. bringing people together, doing something together, you know, working so a bunch of different people can make some money and and uh and that's that's always been me. And so, you know, um I'm willing to push into a group and start talking and pitching my deal and you gotta be aggressive, uh, without being, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, being a bad guy and, and uh, stepping on people, but you got to get up, you got to get hurt.
1: Yeah. And I, and let's touch on that for a second, because I, I wrote some notes on as you were talking, I want to come back to it. And you just kind of tied it in there in the space. Now I'm noticing a real difference between the younger generation of up and coming entrepreneurs and your generation. And I'm kind of in the middle, like I'm, I'm, I'd be considered a millennial I'm 35, but I'm really, I call myself an OG millennial. I'm I'm right at the line between millennial and Gen X. So I grew up in a space where I had a lot of hardworking mentors. You you build relationships, relationship equity, is what I like to call it. And that's what I see with those who are my age and older, but the up and coming generation seems to have lost that sense of go and be aggressive about getting the deal, but do it by giving first. How can I give value to you? hey, how can I connect with that person? That's what you were saying. And I've noticed that at the, the more successful people are that I've met, like I've been, uh, I've spoken and been in meetings with people like Kevin Harrington, uh, one of my business partners who I co-authored a book with, Burn Olman. Ullman. These are guys who've done billions of dollars in business and there's always a sense of re- reciprocity. How can we reciprocate? How can I work with you? How can we do a deal? I mean, I've met people, I did a podcast with Kevin Harrington. On the podcast, he says to me, You know what, let's figure out how we can do something. I was talking to you uh, a a month ago. Hey, how can we do something? And it's just a sense of how can we give to each other because we know that we'll build something together. And it's it's, it's a relationship. And that seems to be a a huge, and as I follow that, I've seen that open up a lot of opportunities. So what do you feel, why do you feel like that difference is? What do you feel is missing that the younger generation of entrepreneurs need to really understand
0: My initial reaction is say, well, it might be selfishness, but you know what? I I think everybody's selfish. I think it's probably they just have never been taught that that's how it works. So, you know, the law of reciprocity from uh, Robert Cialdini's book, Influence the Psychology of Persuasion. It's one of those laws, right? The law of reciprocity. People are more likely to do something for you if you do something for them. First, you know, I'll tell you something the other day, a buddy of mine is is um, launching this um, how to become a speaker, like it's a two or three day thing. It's all about your speech. So it's not really the speaking business. It's about how to give an amazing speech. Sure. And I saw it on Instagram or something and I wrote to him and I said, hey, what's the main website for that? And he gave me the website for it. And I hit my Facebook and my Twitter and I think I hit like uh, 300 and Fifty seven thousand people, or something like that, in a couple minutes. So I sent it to him. I said, "Hey, I just sent this to my three hundred fifty seven thousand closest friends." And he wrote back and said, "Oh man, I'll give you a cut. You know, I'll give you a commission." And I just said, "No, it's totally cool. You don't, you know, you're an old friend. You know, longtime friend, happy to help. You know." And so there's times you get into business deals with people where you you do set up some sort of arrangement, and then there's times when you just give. You're just like, hey, no, I'll do this. This is great, and. Everything comes back. Everything works out. Um, you got to be giving. I I heard Joe Polish once um, say, um, how do you make $8 million a year? He said, I do it by giving away $20 million worth of free stuff you know, (laughs) and value. That's the way you make $8 million a year. And it's the old Zig quote. You can have anything you want in life if you just help other people get what they want out of life. And I just think that that might be missing on the younger generation. And they just have to learn it. They have to have mentors that, that talk to them about it and show them how it works.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'll say this too, having grown up, um, you know, I social media wasn't really a thing until I was, I think, in my twenties. So I I grew up with, you know, remembering I gotta go home and call your friend on the phone, hey, what time are you gonna be home? What time is dinner done so we can call? And everything wasn't instant. And so now everything is instant. You see all of these people on social media who are successful, and I think part of the younger generation, what they see that the message they're getting is that it's scarce. Success is limited. And it's not true. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're promoting someone else's speaker program. when you have one yourself because success is not limited. There's enough to go around for all of us. And I think that's awesome. That's the, the influence there. And you talked about influence. And I know that one of your most demanded keynotes is The Art of Influence. So yeah. let's, let's I, talk right about here, that for a second. This book
0: is has taken me all around the world. The Art of Influence. I've spoken everywhere. China. Uh, awesome. Singapore, Russia, Germany, Egypt, Spain—all over the world. That place is taking me.
1: That's that's my next one. I'm ordering that today.
0: Art of influence. Yeah,
1: awesome. So, so Chris, talk about that because you you built influence before there was social media, before there were influencers, and you're still being influenced now. What is it? What's a couple things that you can share that are the real real key to building influence?
0: Well, so here's a couple of things, and this is, we talked about how things are shifting and how I did it before social media, and then I made the joke about, you know, you got to be able to quote Plato and look good in a bikini. Um, I mean, you look at some of these young girls that are, they've got millions and millions of followers, and, and I don't think they're doing anything dirty or, you know, anything like that, but you know what? They're fitness girls. They look good in in a bikini, and they're talking about life and blah, 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 and so what does that mean does that mean you should go get in a bikini no it doesn't mean that but there are some lessons you can learn from that and that is is we are in a visual culture now there are yeah. there are lots and lots of people that are that have big followings on uh, on instagram that are not doing the bikini thing or the yoga thing or you know whatever right, right. lots of them that are men um older uh, you can build a big, but you have to understand that it's about visual. I mean, Gary Vee is nothing to look at, right? He's short, he's scrawny, you know, he's, he's not, uh, he's not ever going to get the lead in a romantic, uh, you know, movie. Right. Um, Tom Cruise has nothing to worry about, you know, whatever, but he's tons and tons and tons, millions and millions and millions of views. And he's getting a hundred grand a speech now. Why? Because he understands the power of video and he understands the power of image. So you're going to have to get comfortable with Instagram. You're going to have to get comfortable with Facebook. You're going to have to get comfortable with YouTube. Um, And there's a few things that you can think about that. Does it mean, you know, not everybody is Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie? I get it. Nobody's asking you to be the best looking, but they're asking you to be as good looking as you possibly can. So you know what? I've battled with my weight my whole life. I've always been pudgy. You know, I've got great muscle, you know, I I've got a great DNA for building muscle. And I just kind of got to the point, especially as you get older and you're kind of like, I got to put some work in here. Uh, I'm never going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger or, you know, something like that, but I can hit the gym for an hour a day. And because I'm in a public um, you know, where people are seeing me publicly um, you know, to put in, keep you know keep a hairstyle that's that's uh you know fresh and youthful and you know if you're a woman you don't want to be high hairdo right cuz that right. just that you're straight out of the 50s get some clothing <laughs> that, that that works uh hit the gym again you don't have to be a drop dead gorgeous man or woman you know model or actor type but but show people that you're putting in the effort to right. look good, to come up. I think the second thing is, is it's communication. You need to be able to be very articulate. You need to be able to have a good sense of humor and to be able to think off the top of your head. You combine that with video and that's the kind of thing that's going to create some uh, some good content for you. And you'll be attractive to people who want to follow you and get your message.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that's so much good stuff there. And that resonates with with what I how I have come up and how I'm still coming up it was all I built a personal brand because that's what I saw. People like Zig Ziger. I mean, the first speakers, I started as a speaker, for those of you listening who don't know. And just like Chris, I was speaking to youth audiences, youth groups, uh, former youth pastor, turned professional speaker, and no one knew who I was. And I, when I looked at Les Brown, Zig Zigger, those were the two legends in the speaking who I first discovered when I before I knew motivational speaking was a thing. Yeah. And I saw that they had an image that was attractive, they had that influence. And that's where I built a personal brand. And that's so incredibly important. And there are a few pieces, few pieces of the personal branding side that I hear a lot from aspiring speakers and coaches. And the question comes up about a book. You said the Art of Influence book has taken you all over the world. I mean, your, your book on influence has had influence and influenced your career. How important is a book now? With social media and putting out content that way, is it still important to have a book, or what do you think?
0: I think it is important to have a book, and I think the primary reason is it is people perceive people who are authors as people of authority, right? Authority, right? That's right. The, the same word in there, authority, and um, and so I think that uh, that the fact that you can discipline yourself and get a book out is great. Now what I do when I'm coaching people who are getting into the business I have a coaching program for people who want to become speakers is I say let's start let's get the book nailed down what you want to do and the title and the concepts and the and the points and then you can start writing your book for the next three to five months. But while you're doing that you're going to start your podcast around that theme. You're going to create a speech around that theme. You're going to start creating audio around that theme and giving it away for free as lead gen to get people to come in and get on your email list so that you've got this whole tribe and this whole movement before your book comes out. So is a book important? Absolutely. I think it is. It's, it establishes you as an authority, but in terms of the moneymaker, it's probably going to be the course you create around the theme of the book. Right. Um, the speeches that you book based on that, on, on the book. I know one speaker, he does a book every two years and he'll he'll take whatever the advance is. And he's like, you know, whatever you wanna pay me for the advance, whatever's, you know, and, and it's, they always pay him good because he's he's a, a well-known guy. But sure. he, he asks, as part of his deal, he wants 500 copies mm-hmm. of his book every time he gets a book published. That That's part <laughs> of his contract. You ship me 500 copies of the book. He turns around and ships those 500 copies to the CEO of the fortune 500 companies Uh, with a nice note, a nice letter. And he says, I make about a million and a half dollars every time I ship that box of 500 books out.
1: That's genius. (laughs) That's genius. And that think that's a key part too. I've heard a lot of speakers uh, and authors when they're writing a book, they talk about, they they, want to build a personal brand. I've had people ask me this, how can I, Build a personal brand and use my book to make money. And I have a a good friend who's a four-time New York Times bestselling author. uh, She and she built a publishing company. And I asked her this question once and she said, Books don't make money. And I asked her, Well, you're that's what you do. I teach people how to leverage the book to make money. Because the book itself
0: doesn't make money. The book is a positioning piece, not a profit piece. It's like hamburger, it's like hamburger in the grocery store. You know when you get the little thing that says uh, you know hamburger 89 cents a pound and you're like man I got to go down to Fry's and get hamburger because it's 89 cents a pound. Right. But where's the hamburger? The hamburger's clear in the back of the of the uh, supermarket, right? And they know that because it's 89 cents you're not going to go to Albertsons you're going to go to Fry's this week. So you show up and you have to walk by everything else they sell in order to get to the hamburger. So they don't make money on the hamburger. Right. They make money on the $100 worth of crap you buy on the way back out. of the You know, <laughs> the same is true in casinos. I'll tell you, I used to play professional poker for a number of years after I oh, sold wow. my company. After I sold my company, Wheeler dealer. I, was, I was still giving speeches. I was still writing books, but I was playing professional poker, basically. Well, interesting thing, if you go to any casino, uh, the poker room is always at the back. Why? Because they make no money on the poker room. They make very, very little money on a poker table. But they know that they're going to bring in 50 people who all have $1,000 in their pocket, and they want you to walk past the craps tables, the blackjack tables, the roulette right. tables. So poker, you don't make money on poker. You make it on everything else. You don't make money on on hamburger. You make it on everything else. You don't make money on your book. Every now and then somebody will sell millions of books and makes money. But you make your money on a couple of ways. You make your money on your brand. You make your money on the speeches you sell. And I wrote a book called 12 Pillars with Jim Rohn. And the back of that book is filled with a description of the Jim Rohn one-year program. And the Jim Rohn one-year program, I wrote from I wrote it from October 2002 to September, October 2003. And I still make uh, well into the five figures a year just on my royalties from something I haven't touched in 17 years. The reason wow. why, because it's in the back of a million copy best-selling book. And so they get to the end of the book and says, do you want to continue learning about these in a more formal way? You know, join Jim and Chris and blah, blah, blah. And then you're in the Jim Rohn one year program. We sell that for $500 a piece.
1: Wow. That's that. There it is. There it is right there. That's awesome. So you use the book as a positioning piece, use a leveraging piece. And So Chris, uh, this is another question. When it comes to publishing a book, there's self-publishing. There's getting a, uh, a a publishing house. How did you? How did you? With the art of influence, how did you do that? Was that self-published? What do you recommend for speakers? Or does it matter if you self-publish
0: or get a big publishing house to take you on? Um, publishers are kind of like speakers bureaus. They don't want you until you don't need them. Right. And. I don't know that I would recommend anybody go and do a, a regular publisher. Now, first of all, it just takes way too long. You're an 18 month, the two year curve. And frankly, they're just, they are just printers. That's all they are is printers. I came out, my book, the angel inside, which was the book before, um, that was, it, that was part of a two book deal with random house, um, double day. And, uh, Uh, I I launched that book. It was number two on the Wall Street Journal, number seven on the New York Times, number three overall on Amazon for an entire week, beat only by Harry Potter's uh, pre-release and the lost book of J.R.R. Tolkien that his grandson found in the attic after his grandpa died. I was number three on Amazon for an entire week, number two on the Wall Street Journal, number seven on the New York Times. I went back to my publisher. and said, okay, now what are you guys going to do? You're going to put some advertising money in it, da, da, da. No, the way most publishers make their money now is selling you the book on the buyback. They know that they'll print it. They're not going to give you much of an it, it, They're not going to give you much of a uh, an advance. Even guys used to get million dollar advances are getting hundred thousand dollar advances now. Um, they're not going to give you much of an advance, and they're going to print it. And the question they're going to ask is, how are you going to sell this? How are you going to get this sold? They want to know how many speeches you're doing. They want to know. That's what they want to know. So what that tells right. me is that they expect you to do all the work. Well, if you're going to do all the work, why do a book deal where you get 15% of a $10 book when you can print it yourself? Since you're the one who's going to sell it anyway, you can print them for a $1 a book and sell them for $10 a book. Now you're making $9 a book instead of $1.50 a book because you're the one doing all the work. Right. So you have the traditional publishers, which I would just say they're like dinosaurs now. Uh, or you have straight up self-publishing where you have to do all the work, you have to get the ISBN, you have to get the Library of Congress, you got to do the book design, blah blah blah. What I typically lead people towards is what I call the hybrid publisher. It's uh, it's they're a publisher, but you still retain all the rights. You pay them to do the work, um, and there's a lot of great publishers that are in the twelve thousand five hundred dollar range for an entire package. That's about. Right. What I consider, there's people that'll charge you 75 grand. I stay away from those. I don't recommend them. Um, It's just way too much money. They do a lot of great work for you, but most people just don't have 70 grand to drop on it. Um, 12.5 should get you uh, an editor, should get you all of the work done, all of the ISBN, all of the design work, all the formatting, all the layout, editor. Um, It should get you a Kindle version, um, You know all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's probably worth it. And I've got a number of publishers that I refer people to that do that work for that $12,500 range. People say $12,500, oh, that's a lot of money. Well, you got to look at it like a business, right? You know, it's a lot of money to drop 30 grand on an oven. But if you're in a a pizza business, you got to drop 30 grand on the oven. So, you know, get the book out there. And if it's a good Mm -hmm. book and it positions you well, you might take yourself from being a $5,000 speaker to a $10,000 speaker. Well, now you just have to sell a couple speeches and your money's back off the twelve five you paid to get the book done. So, you know, that's, a, that's another big thing we could talk about with speakers. Most speakers don't view speaking as a business. They view right. it as a, as a highly paid hobby because they love to talk. They love to talk. love to talk. I love to talk. I love to talk to people. Oh, I help people. They love me. You know, and, and that's the extent of their thoughts about the speaking business. Um, right. Yeah. You're going to have to invest in your business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so let's let's shift on that on that side of uh, speaking and how people perceive it in the speaking space. And this is a question I really want to to ask you. There's a video that Gary V put out, and he was talking to. Uh, the, the caption was "22 year old motivational speaker." I saw that. Yeah. So, <laughs> he, in that video, the, the basic theme of it was that there are a lot of speakers who want to build success through speaking or build success as a result of speaking versus speaking as a result of the success that they've built. And that's honestly why I transitioned out of speaking after several years and focused on, for the last three years, on just building a business. And only now I'm starting to transition back into speaking from what I've done in the last three years. So what are your thoughts on that? Because there's, there's a lot of speakers who just want to go out there and they have, a, a I think, a misperception of
0: the top speakers and why they're out there. Well, it's easy. It's easy to be a speaker. You know how you become a speaker? Create a Facebook page and put the word speaker on it. Then shoot a video of you, you know, quoting Zig Ziglar. And now you're a speaker, right? I mean, it's really how easy, that is literally how easy it is. If I was not a speaker, I could become a speaker in five minutes. I log in, I'd get Chris Widener's speaker on Facebook and uh, I'd put the term speaker and I would start shooting videos. You yeah. know, straight to the camera telling people, go get it. You're the best. Don't let anything stand in your way. And I'm a speaker now. So there's just a lot of people that think that they're speakers. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of posing. You know, there's, there's guys that are renting a Ferrari and going down to the jet park and parking it in front, you know, wait, right. wait for the security guard to run and scream at him and tell him to get the <laughs> hell off the runway. But in the meantime, he got a shot of him in a Ferrari in front of a jet. And now everybody thinks, oh my gosh, he's 28. He's got a jet. That just shows you. Uh, so that's how they off. do that. That just shows you how stupid people are, that they actually believe that. Um, So there's a lot of posing. There's a lot of people in the business. I think there's two ways that you can become an authority. You can become an authority by doing, or you can become an authority by researching, right? Hmm. And so um, if you are a, um, a swimmer for the U.S. Olympic team, and you... I'll give you an example. One of my very, very good friends, lifelong friend, uh, we represent her in our bureau. Um, Her name is Michelle Akers. Uh, Anybody who's played soccer for a long time knows that Michelle Akers was the the greatest female soccer player of all time. Um, FIFA did a a thing where they, they named the 125 best players of all time in soccer. There were two women named to it, and it was Michelle Akers. And Mia Hamm, and ironically, they were the only two Americans. Not a single American male was named to the greatest 125 players of all oh, time. Wow. So she is a she. We book her to talk about leadership for major corporations. Why? Because she was captain of the World Cup team, captain of the Olympic team, second biggest scorer of all time in in uh, women's soccer. And frankly, the only reason she's second is because she had so many concussions. They moved her to midfielder the last seven years of her career. Otherwise, she would have been the all time leading scorer in in women's soccer. Oh, wow. So she can talk about uh, leadership because she did it. Then you might have somebody who never played soccer at all, but they have studied. And they've coached and they've got years of research where they they've spent time with the greatest soccer players of all time or the greatest business coaches of all time or the greatest CEOs of all time. And they've spent time and they've cultivated, you know, sort of the secrets of success boiled down from so research. We represent another woman, uh, Dr. Sharon Melnick, uh, undergrad at Yale, doctorate from Berkeley, all of her postdoctorate, 10 years of research at Harvard Medical School. So that is something that she brings into her speech, is the research that she learned from ten years at Harvard Medical School. So you can do it by either doing it, you can build your authority by doing it, or being the expert on it through your research and study.
1: Right. That's powerful. That's awesome. So don't just go out there and call yourself a motivational speaker. You've got to have something. You gotta have some results. You gotta have some real expertise, like Chris said, either through doing or or through researching. So, so Chris, this is the the brand domination shown as we wrap up, I always like to ask this question, what's next? You've done so much already, top 50 speaker in the world, Inc top 100 leadership speakers, three plus million copies of books sold, millions of people impacted, what's next from there?
0: So I had an interesting thing when I was, Jim Rohn was still alive and they gave, the National Speakers Association gave him the Master of Influence Award, I believe it was 2007. And I was sitting at the dinner, Jim was directly to my left and Mark Sanborn, the president of the National Speakers Association, gave it away that year and he asked 2,000 speakers a question. How many of you would say that Jim Rohn significantly impacted your life or business? And two thirds of the 2,000 people raised their hand. And I thought, wow. So it's not just the people that hear him speak, but it's all the people who hear all the people who he has influenced speak. Millions of people a year, and you know I'm not I'm not the youngest guy in the world. I'm not the oldest guy in the world either. I'm 53, but I'm starting to look at moving, uh, as Bob Buford put in his book, halftime, moving from success to significance. And uh, for example, we represent Doctor Sharon Melnick, who teaches women how to break through the glass ceiling in the corporate workplace. She said, "Why would a guy like you?" Man, we, we, my wife and I started a speaker management company, and, and she was the first person that signed up with us. She said, "Why would a guy like you, who's been so successful, and you know all this kind of stuff, why would you take me on and help me?" And I said, "Because Dr. Melnick, nobody's going hi- to look at me. Nobody's going to hire yeah. me to come and talk to women about how to break the glass ceiling. So even though I'm not doing that, I'm helping somebody do it." And that allows me to grow my influence and help impact the world. And so uh, the, the next big thing for my wife and I is we've started a, uh, a speaker management company for where we handle the back end business for speakers. We allow them to focus on their speaking. We, we say that we're your partner in the speaking business. You do the speaking. We do the business. So we're building out a stable of people who are really making a difference and helping people. And uh, we're going to pour our lives into helping run their business side. But I'm going to coach and mentor them and, and uh, collaborate with them on speaking and writing and all the things that they should be doing, which is content creation. Uh, I got my Speakers Academy, the Chris Widener Speakers Academy, and just really helping uh, a new generation of speakers the same way people help me.
1: I love it. I love that piece, going from success to significance. I've heard that uh, said by someone before, and that, that it resonated with me and it stuck with me and I think that's awesome. When you you've built as much success as you as, as you have, and when I ask this question, I can always it always says a lot about the person that I'm asking because even with you, you said nothing about money. It was yeah. significance impacting people. the The numbers were not numbers of dollars. It was numbers of lives changed, people yeah. impacted, and that's I think that's key. You know, because you you've obviously made a lot of money. You've had a massive impact. You're 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 you know. What a lot of entrepreneurs aspire to, you know, being wealthy, but I've noticed the wealthiest people spend very little time talking about how much money they make and they talk about the impact they make. And what I've learned from people like yourself is that if you focus on making the impact, the
0: income will follow. And you yeah, have fact, more. My in- next book, I'm about to finish my, my next book. It's called Lasting Impact, How to Create a Life and Business that Live Beyond You. And so that's really that. the focus of my, my attention now is how do, you, how do you make a lasting impact? How do you make sure that your life is, uh, whether it's 20 years long or it's 80 years long, how do you make sure that you make the most impact that you possibly can?
1: I love that. I love that. I remember uh, Legacy. Uh, when I think about Legacy, I remember years ago, I wrote a quote down to myself and I said, this is what you're going to do. And I said, build something worth being known for. Leave yeah. something worth being remembered for. Uh-huh. And that's been the Jim Rohns, the Zig Ziglers, and you're doing that now. So I'm honored honored to know you and just be able to come in at this point in your journey and be able to see what's happening um, and support you in that. So Chris, appreciate you being on the show. A massive amount of value. If you're an aspiring speaker uh, or expert, you wanna build expert authority, you just got 30, 40 minutes of the best training that you can possibly get without opening your wallet. Chris, appreciate you. Thanks for being on the show. And we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Brand Domination Show.